With this episode being released on the 10th of September 2021, we are all aware that tomorrow will mark the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks, which took place in America. Around 3,000 people died on that day, and I'd like to dedicate this episode to all of those lost, their families and their friends. Never forget. Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is recorded and presented in stereo. Listening to it through an environment such as headphones is highly recommended. Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is proudly sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie at CDS Print and Design through Facebook Instagram or email at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. With high quality products at competitive prices, what have you got to lose? We're currently asking you, the listeners, for your ghost stories and paranormal experiences for a set of listener episodes. Wherever you live in the world, if you've had an experience, then please email the show with full details of your story to haunted UK podcast at hotmail.com. Is it possible that friends and loved ones can make an appearance just before or just after their deaths? Is it conceivable to think that some people can somehow harness an unknown form of energy to enable them to say a final farewell, or to deliver a final message before departing this life? This can be an extremely heartbreaking experience for the witness, but many others say that their sightings have given them hope and a renewed sense of purpose. Welcome to Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK Podcast. This is episode 8 of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast, and this time we're going to be exploring the stories and cases of crisis ghosts. Seeing a crisis ghost is more common than you'd think. There are thousands of stories spanning different cultures and religions that tell of loved ones appearing at their crucial moments of passing. Whether it's to pass on a final message or to say goodbye, or just to simply give a familiar smile, crisis apparitions can give comfort and support to those who are about to receive some of the worst news of their lives. 
There are a number of theories which are put forward to try and give some sort of explanation for these phenomena. One is that the person in crisis, whether they are critically ill or dying, can somehow telepathically project an image of themselves to a loved one without even knowing they're doing it. Another theory is that the person is able to travel to the location of the loved one via the phenomena of astral projection to deliver their message and then return to their body before passing on. Others suggest that these apparitions are guardian angels sent back to comfort the grieving. Whatever the reasons are for their appearances, their images can leave witnesses with mixed emotions, ranging from fear to elation. Witnesses report that appearances are so lifelike and solid that they often have been mistaken for the real person, which is impossible as, at times, they can be thousands of miles away. So with all of this in mind, let's dive into some of these truly amazing encounters. Our first story begins in the early 1990s at Glasgow International Airport. A commercial airline pilot captain with decades of flying experience had an encounter which changed his life forever. After completing an inbound flight, the captain, who only wanted to be known as Robert, did his usual duties before making his way out of the airport and to his hotel. This was an extremely familiar routine for Robert and, on that particular day, everything seemed to be totally normal. As he was almost leaving the airport, he noticed a familiar friend making his way towards him. Robert smiled at the man and said hello. They both stopped to chat and Robert extended his hand out to shake hands with his colleague. His friend didn't return the gesture, which Robert thought was a little odd, but they both continued to talk. The conversation, to the best of Robert's knowledge, was just the usual chit-chat, nothing out of the ordinary. Robert also noticed that his friend had lost a substantial amount of weight, and he was quite shocked by this, but chose not to mention it in case there had been some sort of illness. After a few minutes, the two men concluded their conversation, wished each other well, and then went their separate ways. Robert made his way to his hotel, where he changed clothes and settled in for the evening. He was due to meet a friend at the local pub the following day, but had some time to kill, so wandered around the shops for a while. After getting to the pub, Robert's friend bought him a drink and the two settled down at the bar. They began to chat about this and that. During the conversation, Robert's friend stepped from his bar stall and said that he wanted to show him something. He disappeared around the corner of the bar and came back with a copy of the Scotsman newspaper. As he fumbled through the pages, he commented that Robert must know this man, as he was also a pilot based at the same airport. Coming to the page that he was looking for, Robert's friend placed the paper down on the bar in front of him and pointed to the article. There, staring Robert in the face, was the obituary of the friend and fellow pilot who had been speaking to him in the airport the day before. Even in his own words, Robert exclaimed that, quote, I was completely stunned. This just was not possible. It was not possible. If you call me a nut, then you can call me a nut. But as an ex-naval officer, ex-fighter pilot, commercial airline pilot, I'm not in the habit of making these types of stories up. Robert's encounter changed his view of the paranormal dramatically. It also changed his outlook on life and death, 
and he still swears to this day that he was speaking to his dead colleague on that fateful day. But how can this happen? How can the dead seemingly transmit messages in their no longer living form? There are so many of these encounters that I feel I have to expand the subject outside of the UK. So for our next story, we're heading to Alabama, America. The year is 1997, and Josh Harris had received news that his grandfather Raymond had been diagnosed with lung cancer. The diagnosis was terminal, and Raymond was given a matter of only weeks to live. Josh was only 12 years old at the time, and his grandfather was a huge part of his life, so losing him would be devastating. Josh decided to try and stay by his grandfather's bedside for as long as he possibly could. As time went on, Raymond was growing weaker and weaker. One particular night, Josh was taken home after staying by his grandfather's side for hours. Home was around two miles away, and Josh, being incredibly tired, soon fell asleep on the couch in the living room. For no apparent reason, Josh woke up, fully alert to see his grandfather standing over him. At first, it completely took him by surprise. Why was he here and not at his house where everyone else would have been? Josh then said that he spoke to him. He smiled warmly and told him that everything would be okay. Raymond then turned away and began to walk towards the kitchen when the phone rang. This startled Josh and he turned towards the direction of the phone and watched his aunt, who had been in another room in the house, answer the phone and take the call. Josh turned back to where his grandfather had been, but was confused to see that he had gone. Josh then heard his aunt crying. She informed him that his beloved grandfather had passed away. Josh shook his head in disbelief, and immediately informed his aunt that his grandfather had been with him in the house a matter of a few moments ago. He even told Josh that everything would be okay. Years later, Josh still sticks by his story and is adamant that his grandfather was there with him, looking very well and as solid as any other human being. The meaning of the paranormal has changed beyond belief for Josh, and he continues to try and search for an explanation for his experience. But he always comes back to the same conclusion. Somehow, his grandfather Raymond had managed to materialize in front of Josh to deliver a message before he finally passed away. Just how he did this still remains a mystery. Our next story keeps us in America and tells of a crisis spirit that used other elements of communication to get their message across to their loved ones. The horrific events of the 9-11 terrorist attacks will live with millions for the rest of our lives. The ripples of these truly terrible acts which claimed the lives of thousands of people were felt all around the globe and as the dust began to settle, as the rescuers searched for survivors, and as the names of the lost were being released, strange stories began to emerge about messages being received, seemingly from beyond the veil. Even before 9-11, Bonnie McAnini's husband, Eamon, was giving off strange vibes which she thought were not only odd, but completely out of character. In one instance, she recalls them sitting down and watching Band of Brothers when her husband turned to her and said that he was prepared for his death and he was ready to handle it. 
This statement resulted in an emotional conversation between the two, with Bonnie thinking that her husband was becoming clinically depressed. This was on the 9th of September. She also recalled that he made a comment to her when she was cooking one evening that she would need to be more of a disciplinarian when it came to their children, as things would get much harder when he was gone. Even on the morning of September 11th, another ominous warning came when as Eamon was taking a shower before going to work, he had an attack of vertigo. This was something that had affected him over the years, but it had been over nine months since his last episode. After recovering, Eamon made his way to work, which was on the 105th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center's Twin Towers. Eamon was a trader who not only loved his job, but also loved the people he worked with. At 8.46am on the morning of September 11th, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11, a Boeing 767, was flown into the North Tower, impacting roughly between the 93rd to the 99th floors. The sheer impact damage severed all routes of escape from all of the floors above, which was where Eamon was left stranded. At 10.28am, the North Tower collapsed. After Bonnie had started to take in the news of what was happening, the search began for Eamon. On the 13th of September, there had still been no word from her husband. Bonnie's house was a flurry of activity as friends and family were constantly making phone calls to the police, fire department and hospitals, desperately trying to find out if Eamon had somehow survived. In a moment of complete desperation, Bonnie stood up and decided to take a walk to try and clear her head and to get some air. As she got back to the pathway to her house, she called out, Eamon, just tell us where you are. At that precise moment, Bonnie recalls that she heard a rustling noise from the trees outside her house, accompanied by a wind that flowed like a river between the tree branches. This river of wind made its way down to Bonnie, and in a very concerted effort, it slightly lifted her skirt, then let it fall, then completely subsided. As she stood there, she knew 100% that her husband was gone. Does this go to show that a crisis apparition doesn't need to materialise to get a message to their loved ones? Back in the UK, our next story begins in a school. Teacher Dorothy Service recalled that many years ago she worked with a class of young children, some of them having special needs. To help out, Dorothy would sometimes be accompanied by a teaching assistant, and the two got on very well. One day, Dorothy was horrified to learn that her friend's husband had been killed in a car accident. Dorothy did everything she could to help out and to try and make life for her colleague a little bit easier. A few months later, Dorothy was sat in front of her TV with a notepad and pen, making a to-do list for herself, when she noticed the side lights in her living room beginning to flicker. She ignored this, thinking that it was probably some sort of power surge, and continued to scribble away on her notepad, whilst becoming enveloped by the sights and sounds from a television. Almost an hour had gone by, when Dorothy suddenly snapped out of her trance-like state and looked down at the notepad. She was amazed to see that she had written a letter, addressed to her colleague, 
from her dead husband. It described wanting forgiveness from his wife for all of the times that he had behaved so badly to her and her son when he'd been alive. He described how he regretted so much that their son would immediately leave the dinner table as soon as he heard his father's car pull up on the driveway. Instead of taking his food upstairs, their son would just scrape it into the bin and go into his room. The writing pleaded with Dorothy to give this letter to his wife as soon as possible. Dorothy couldn't bring herself to hand over the letter and decided to keep it at home. Over the next few months, the electrical disturbances became more frequent and more noticeable. Dorothy and her husband contacted electricians to come into the house and check all the wiring and fittings. Everything checked out perfectly. A few more months passed and Dorothy and her colleagues were sat in the staff room talking. Most of the staff at the school were now well aware that her husband had not been the best person in the world at all. And in conversation, the teaching assistant said to Dorothy, Do you know that even when my son was eating at the dinner table, he'd only have to hear his father's car pull up on the drive and he'd throw his food in the bin and go up to his room to avoid him? Dorothy was stunned. This was exactly what this man had seemed to have been able to communicate to Dorothy to write down all those months earlier in the letter which was still in her house. Was this also the reason for the many electrical disturbances? Dorothy decided to take her friend to a more private area of the staff room and as gently as possible, tell her about the letter. She also gave her the letter as she felt that it hadn't been hers to keep after all. This brought closure in a number of ways to both Dorothy and her friend. And after that day, there was never another electrical disturbance. Again, another example of how a spirit in crisis can choose to try and inform loved ones of a message which they feel they need to get across. This story also seems to magnify the fact that the spirit can seem to disappear after its final purpose has been fulfilled. Going all the way back to 1878, we have another example of a loved one coming back to help out one last time. One very cold late afternoon in Liverpool, a doctor named Charles Blundell was asleep at his desk in his surgery on Myrtle Street. His slumber was abruptly brought to an end by the constant jangling of the doorbell. Quickly gathering himself together, Charles rushed to the door and opened it to see a small, ragged trousered boy wearing a flat cap and a blue scarf, standing in bare feet on the snow-covered doorstep. The boy begged the doctor to follow him as his ma was dying. Charles Blundell grabbed his medical bag and instructed the boy to lead the way. Off they both went and after a short while the boy had led the doctor to a woman in her thirties who appeared to be unconscious and face down in the snow and slush. Blundell immediately hailed down a cab and pulled the woman inside and instructed the driver to take him and his patient to Brownlow Street Infirmary straight away. The driver snapped the reins and the horses began to pull the cab at speed. After a few minutes, Charles realised that in the initial panic, the boy had been left behind, but there was no way they could turn around now as the woman's condition was extremely critical. After a few weeks of treatment in hospital, the woman made a full recovery from what turned out to be a severe case of pleurisy. 
She couldn't thank Charles Blundell enough for saving her life, but the doctor corrected her by stating that if it hadn't been for her son knocking on his surgery door and raising the alarm, she would have certainly died. It was her son who she needed to thank. Charles also apologised for leaving the boy behind in the panic, and asked her if her son had been looked after by relatives or friends, as he hadn't seen him and couldn't trace him at all. The woman was completely puzzled by this, and informed Charles that her only son had died at Christmas, 1875, of a fever. The doctor was completely taken aback by this, and was even more shocked when the woman opened a bedside cabinet and pulled out an item of clothing of her son's which she had kept since his passing three years earlier. It was a blue scarf, the very same blue scarf which Charles had seen the boy wearing when he asked him for help to save his mother. Back to America now, and this next story is a cross between the crisis ghost phenomena coupled with a near-death experience and also a shared death experience. William Peter's life changed forever after the encounter he had with a former Marine. Peter's worked as a volunteer at a hospice and had seen his fair share of tragedy as patient after patient would pass away right before his eyes. Williams was used to seeing this happen and things he thought wouldn't be any different the day he met Ron. Ron was a former merchant marine who was terminally ill with stomach cancer. He didn't have many visitors at all, so William would often spend hours every day at his bedside chatting to him, reading books for him, and generally trying to keep his remaining time focused on other things. Hospice staff, as well as William Peters, knew that Ron's condition was getting worse and that he was becoming more and more frail. One afternoon, Peters made his way into Ron's room to find him extremely weak and barely conscious. He sat down and began reading from Call of the Wild by Jack London, all the while knowing that Ron was just about hanging on. What happened next quite simply defies explanation. William said that while he was reading, he suddenly felt an energy jerk through his entire body. He was then floating in the air, looking back down upon himself and Ron. But what was more amazing was the sight of Ron floating next to him and looking down at the same scene. William said, quote, He looked straight at me and gave me this happy, contented look, as if he was telling me, Check this out, here we are. As quickly as this happened, it ended by Peter saying that he felt himself drop back into his body. A short while later, Ron passed away, leaving Peters with an experience that would stay with him for the rest of his life. Most people, including William Peters, would firmly place this event into the category of a shared death experience, but I still feel that this also shares many elements with the crisis apparition phenomenon. We'll finish this episode off with a story that takes the crisis ghost experience into the realms of our dreams. Patricia was a model who was working in London around 40 years ago when she was in her late teens. She had a morning photo shoot which went completely normally. She then went back to her hotel to get some rest before her second photo shoot later that day. Whilst taking a lie down, Patricia fell asleep, but this slumber was like nothing she'd ever experienced before. She described herself as being fully aware of her surroundings 
and under the impression that she was still awake, but this is where her dream began. She found herself standing in a beautiful field of long grass that was being gently swayed by a gentle breeze. As she stood there, she became aware of a figure walking towards her, a figure whom she felt she knew and was instantly comfortable with. As the figure got closer, Patricia realized that it was her grandmother, but she was much younger in appearance, around just 30 years old. Patricia's grandmother stood before her and told her that she wasn't to worry about anything, that she was completely fine and that she loved her. She then asked Patricia that when she could, she was to go to her grandmother's house and find a key which was hanging up on a wall. This key would open a specific drawer in her desk, and inside this drawer, Patricia would find something that her grandmother wanted her to have. Her grandmother asked her to write a book about her life and assured her that it would be a success. Shortly after this, Patricia woke up and was immediately surrounded by the perfumed scent of her grandmother. She knew right away that her grandmother had passed away. She called her father who confirmed that her grandmother had indeed passed away and that her mother was on her way to Ireland to begin preparations for her funeral and burial. Patricia asked her father to get her mother to call her as soon as she had got to her grandmother's house as she desperately needed to speak to her. The day after, Patricia's mother got in touch with her and asked if everything was okay. She told her mother about the dream and the instructions which her grandmother had asked her to carry out for her. First off, she described the key to her mother and the location, and sure enough, it was there, exactly as described to her. She asked her mother to go to her grandmother's desk and try the key in a particular drawer. Again, the key unlocked only one drawer, and inside it was a large envelope with Patricia's name on it. Neither of them had any idea, not only of the location of the envelope, but the fact that it existed at all. Inside the envelope were documents, letters and photographs which would help Patricia carry out her grandmother's final wish, to write her life story. Whilst we all have our own personalities, our own consciences, our own habits, faults and strengths, we are faced here with stories that seemingly go towards shedding light on the possibilities that we may not be completely governed by our surroundings. Are we, as a spiritual being, somehow able to transcend the realms of time and space to deliver that final, crucial message to a friend or loved one? Being alive is an experience which is not only amazing, but also touching, painful, rewarding and heartbreaking. Nothing else can compare to it. And as human beings, the energy which we expel as we travel through our journey of our life cycle can easily be thought of as simply energy which disappears. But what if it doesn't? What if this energy can be used just one last time? At some points in our lives, we will all be struck by the heartbreaking loss of family and friends. But we should all stay incredibly aware of our environment and our dreams. Because the next person who could encounter a crisis ghost could be you. Or me. Well, we've come to the end of episode 8 of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK Podcast. 
but before I go, I'd just like to make a few announcements. First off, thank you to all of you who have listened, and if you've enjoyed the show, then please leave a five-star review. This will help the show tremendously. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Secondly, I'd like to give a shout-out to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design. Thank you so much to Colin and Debbie. Thank you for your support. Thirdly, I'd like to give a shout-out to a few podcasts which, if you're struggling to find interesting material to listen to, these will definitely quench your thirst. Wherever you download your podcasts from, try searching for the following. Astonishing Legends The Strange Sessions Haunted Housewives The Mystery of Life Podcast The Salty Speculation Podcast Killing, Missing, Hidden The Pineapple Pizza Podcast Podcasts from Fallen Scholar Productions Keep It Weird The Monster Goes On What Went Wrong And from the Parcast Network who are now exclusively only on Spotify Unexplained Mysteries Conspiracy Theories Gone and extraterrestrial. Next, if you've experienced a crisis ghost, then please email the show at hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com with full details of your encounter, and I will try my best to read out as many listener stories as possible in dedicated listener episodes. I would genuinely love to hear from you, so please get in touch. Last of all, if you have a podcast that you need mixing, or if you need original music writing for your podcast, then please get in touch via email to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so very much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.